This is Full Circle, a podcast from Midland Center for the Arts, Episode 2. In this episode, our hosts, Dexter Brigham, Director of Theater Programs at the Center for the Arts, and Elaine Doherty, Center Programming Board Member and Faculty Member in the Department of Theater and Dance at Central Michigan University, sit down with guest panelists Derek Davis and Lois Reeves to discuss racial diversity, inclusion, and equity in casting for theater, here on Full Circle. Hello, and welcome to Full Circle, the Midland Center Arts Podcast. Full Circle is a chance for us to take a deep dive on important topics and questions inspired by current events and our own programming here at Midland Center for the Arts. If you are discovering this podcast on iTunes or on your favorite podcasting platform and you don't know anything about the Midland Center for the Arts, that is perfectly fine. You are completely welcome here. There's nothing specific that you need to know about us to enjoy the show other than the fact that we are artists who love to talk about all things arts-related, probably just like you. Uh, but just to give you a little background, Midland Center for the Arts is a multidisciplinary performing arts center in Midland, Michigan, that boasts a hands-on science museum, art gallery and studios, symphony orchestra, community theater, historical society, and we also host a very wide spectrum of visiting artists from Broadway tours and recording artists to children and family shows. We do a lot of things here, and it gives us a lot of things to talk about. And in each episode, we will chat with local and visiting guests about something that we think is interesting, that's interesting to us, and that we hope that you will find interesting as well. So um, my name is Dexter Brigham, and I will be your host for the show. I am a theater producer by trade, and I am a member of the programming team here at the center, which is the brilliantly talented group of folks who put on, uh, who put together our season each year. Uh, and I would like to introduce my uh, my co-host for this morning's debacle. Um, this is Elaine Doherty, who is a theater professor at Central Michigan University. If you listen closely, you might be able to tell that she is a native Bostonian. Technically, I'm a native Brocktonian. Which, Bro- Brocktonian? Yeah, from Brockton. But in Michigan, that doesn't probably mean anything. If you're from Massachusetts, it makes a difference. Do you get like more respect or less respect for being a Brocktonian? Brockton's, you know, we're called the city of champions because it's the home of Rocky Marciano and Marvin Hagler, a lot of boxers. A lot of boxes. 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 Okay, I get it. So (laughs) she's going to give me, I'm going to learn this dialect. I'm going to get it. So I have to to tell you this because um, you guys, I don't know if you guys know this, but one of the great... Um, tragedies in American history is uh, the Boston Massacre. <laughs> Did you know this, Derek? No. Okay. So uh, <laughs> apparently, a uh, hundred and one years ago, just last year was the centennial. Um, yeah. Uh, it was the centennial celebration, I guess, of the Great Boston Massacre, where a uh, was it three two point three million gallons of molasses of like. Yeah, of molasses exploded from tanks and caused a tidal wave of maple syrup. Is that true? Yes, it's it's true. Absolutely true. (laughs) Happened on on January fifteenth, nineteen nineteen. Um, and so the whole town and and like and it literally flooded it flooded downtown Boston with a tidal wave of molasses. How do you clean that? I don't know. I don't think they ever did. I mean, have you been to Boston? What? Yes, I have, and it's lovely. Oh yeah, see what I oh that's right. a dis downtown. I'm, buddy, we always get I mean, no, nothing personal. You're from Brockton, right? I'm sure your things are, you I, keep things very spick and span out in Brockton, out in the burbs. I just want you to know <laughs> that I might not get you back immediately, but 
but I'd keep score. Okay. Well, anyway, to get us back on track, uh, today's conversation, our mm -hmm. podcast episode, is going to be on the topic of race, specifically talking about how the theater world is changing in its approach to representation and casting. And joining us to talk about these topics today, we have two guests, Derek Davis and Lois Reeves. So, Lois... You are a soon-to-be graduate from Central Michigan University with a degree in musical theater, and you have been seen here on our stage in, at, in Center Stage Theater in our production of Disenchanted in 2018, so welcome. Hi, thank you for having me today. Yeah. And Derek, you, uh, my friend, are a successful Broadway actor, having performed in both Broadway, on Broadway in both The Lion King and in Carousel, and you're here in Midland performing Billy Bigelow in the MSO concert staging of Carousel. So. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here. So let's, uh, all right, just to kind of kick off the conversation here. Um, Derek, let's, let's start with you here. So some of the biggest roles of your career, um, Billy Bigelow in Carousel and The Phantom, <clears throat> have been historically played by white actors. Mm -hmm. um, what started this move toward a more diverse Broadway? We're seeing a lot more actors of color in principal roles on Broadway than we ever have in the past. What do you think started this and... Like, what do you, how has this experience been for you? Well, uh, I'll work backwards. The experience for me has been uh, diverse. <laughs> <laughs> um, largely, it's been a great experience, but as it is with any uh, forward-moving moment in history, there's somebody or somebody's that have to do the hard work. You know, mm -hmm. so um, I feel like it started... Maybe I'll work forward. So I feel like the change started way back when with the civil rights movement, you know, and things like that. And now we're at a place in uh, musical theater and arts at large where people are just ready for the stage specifically to reflect what is actually in existence in the rest of the world, mm -hmm. specifically in the United States, you know? Um, and I just think that producers are starting to see, I, I mean, it, I always say, if you follow the money, you'll get to the base of it, you know, specifically, uh, especially in business or in theater. So the producers are starting to see that people want to pay money to see diversity, you know? Mm -hmm. And theater and art has always been the the thing that changes society, you know? It reflects real life, yes, but it also pushes things forward and, and challenges. So I think that art is just trying to do that at this point. So um, you were, correct me if I'm wrong, you were, were you the, the, the first, uh, you were the first Black Phantom? I was on the, on, the, on the tour. On the tour, there, on were, the tour. there were two before me. First was Robert Guillaume, in California, and then Norm Lewis uh, on, Broadway, on Broadway, and then yeah. I was the first one on the tour. Awesome. So, um, what was that like? Was it just, I mean, being a first of anything, right? Yeah. It's always an interesting, there's always, I don't know, some sort of, there's always a unique experience. Yeah. How, how has that been for you? It was wonderful. It was, it was so surprising when it happened, you know? Uh, I had just finished doing uh, Dreamgirls, in Fort uh, Dallas, Texas, and the same casting company that cast that 
cast for Phantom. And the auditions had come up and the casting director called my manager and said, hey, why don't we just throw him into the mix? And unbeknownst to either one of them, it was a dream for me to do Phantom mm -hmm. because it was the first show my parents took me to see as a kid. And it was the show that made me fall in love with musical theater. So, but the thing is, to your earlier point, it was never played by a person of color that I knew of, you know? Mm -hmm. So I didn't see myself, see that as a possibility for me. Mm -hmm. um, and then, the casting director said, well, why don't we throw him into the mix? And we said, okay. And I, prepare, I, I barely had to prepare the material because the entire show is running in my head constantly. <laughs> and so I walked into the audition and uh, to make a long story short, I, I went through the rigorous process of auditioning and got it. And so when my manager called me and told me that I got the role, I felt completely silent. And he was like, are you okay? Why aren't you yelling? Why aren't you screaming? And I said, let me just call you back. And I literally sat on my couch for about an hour, unable to have emotion, unable to process thought, just trying to let the idea of the fact that I, as a person of color in this season, in this country, am gonna be taking this role to people in places that may not be happy about it, may be happy about it. So it was just as daunting as it was exciting, you know? Um, but then once I got into it, I realized something that was so wonderful. The media, well, it was just a reminder really that the majority of the media works in sensationalism, right? Things that are going to be shocking and things that, that are gonna make you keep the channel on. Uh, but then when you get to these different states and these different cities and the, the, the deep country cities and, and you think it's gonna be horrible, people are so accepting. You know, by and large, people are so loving and, and, and embracing and excited about representation of all people in theater and on stage. Uh, I mean, I, I'd, I'd be lying if I didn't say that there were some moments that were um, not pleasant. You know, there are people who weren't happy about me being in the role and they weren't afraid to show that. Um, but that was the slim minority in the experience so overall it was encouraging to yeah to, to really feel like that you had the support of, of your for audience sure. the whole way through for sure and it made me feel like in all areas of life people should not be afraid to allow for diversity i, I can't wait for the day when diversity isn't even a term anymore you know <laughs> when we can just say people like they were the best candidate for whatever the position is. And it doesn't matter the color, the sexual orientation, the gender, the creed, the mm -hmm. any of it, like just humans, you know? But we're far off from that, so we just have to keep putting in the work. Yeah, when, when will the entire canon be like the Shakespeare canon, right? That's one of the great, mm. some of the great freedom. You know, there's so much freedom in, in, in things like Shakespeare where now, like nobody expects any particular role to be any particular thing right. in any particular exactly. show. Exactly, you can right? do anything. Like, yeah, you can do anything. I mean, like all roles are all roles are gender fluid, yep. right? There's there's no there's no racial considerations in any particular. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, unless you're making a very specific conceptual choice. But for the most part, Shakespeare is open to everything. Yeah. And there's other there's other genres that are starting to become. that. I mean, I thought it was you know, and really it's kind of like what, and maybe you, like you mentioned, um, following the money. You know, is you know, did Hamilton accelerate that? You know, they're like, oh, there is a lot, a of, lot money of money to be made. Yeah. You know, by by acknowledging that that these stories don't have to be told by mm -hmm. by 
white guys. Yeah, I, th I definitely think that Hamilton had a huge part in that for sure. I mean, just because Hamilton came out when I was doing Lion King in New York. So Lion King is a predominantly black cast, obviously. Um, so, but Hamilton spent a great while downtown before it came to Broadway. Like they were changing it and working it and fixing it and everything like that. And there was this current of excitement in the community of people of color in, in the theatrical, uh, but it was, it was also, everyone was getting excited about it. And I think people started to take notice before it even got to Broadway. So that when it got to Broadway, there was such a buzz about this show that immediately it just took off, you know? And everybody wants to have what everybody else has. <laughs> and so it kind of just created its own momentum, but it is one of the most <laughs> excellent productions that I've seen in a long time. So it's, it's deserving for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Lois, um, so you, so you are, uh, you're a, it's great. I, I really like having both of you guys here because you guys are in very different parts of your career. Right. Yes. Yes. And, um, <laughs> Lois are, is a, is a fabulously talented young performer, um, who is, is getting ready to, to launch her, her professional career. Um, so Lois, what kind of challenges do you face as as a young artist of color who's just just getting started in the industry? Oh wow, <laughs> it's funny that you ask this because I'm just coming off of two cattle call auditions, and um, at the first one I was at, I had two very different experiences with two different callbacks. Um, one of them I went in because my entire package, I included one legit golden age style, and then I included one kind of a mixed belt style within my audition. Mm -hmm. And for one of my callbacks, I went in and they had me redo my initial audition. And afterward, they asked me to look in my book and find something with a little more soul, a little more gospel, a little more belt, like immediately kind of typing me for my looks yeah. and expecting this huge, loud voice right off the bat. And then the other one I went in and they allowed me to sing legit styles and I got to sing up to high C and all that, stuff I typically don't get to do because even if we look at music theater, there's not a lot of legit black sopranos like at all. We don't see it in golden age. We don't see it in any current shows with legit styling. So that's been like a real challenge for me as I get ready to go because I actually have been trained more in legitimate style. So whenever I go out to auditions and I'm like scrambling in my book for something that it almost doesn't feel like me at this point, but I still, I know that that's what's going to be asked of me and expected of me more than anything. So I'm kind of at this weird crossroad where I'm like, I want to keep pushing and keep trying and keep fighting for those golden age roles and those ingenue roles. But then I have so many people and so many elements that are telling me that the money is or the jobs are going to be in, honestly, what's a lot of stereotypical roles. And it's, it's crazy, to say the least. And let me ask you, in that moment of audition when they asked you for something with 
more soul or more whatever the words are that they use, do you just hear them trying to be politically correct oh, about asking absolutely. you to be a more traditionally black performer? Like, do you just... Do you just translate that? Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I'm like Derek's nodding his head too. It's so funny you just right. asked that. Because I have there's uh, the song I love, it's on YouTube, and it's it's called Everyone Wants to Hear a Black Girl Belt. And in the middle of the song, she starts off so beautiful, so legit, talking about how she longs to be this golden age ingenue. And then after she's done with the first half, there's somebody in the audience playing the casting director that calls her back on stage. And she goes, um, that, was, that was nice. That was beautiful. Do you have anything a little more um, urban? <laughs> 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 and she goes into this huge riff section and it's crazy and it's funny too because during this audition I was asked to riff I'm terrified petrified of riffing it's not it's not, it's in, not in everybody's in wheelhouse. wheelhouse it's not and it's everyone's <laughs> instrument isn't made that way <laughs> it was like please please can I opt out <laughs> yes. I'd rather not thank you Any, anything else I <laughs> I don't know how. I'm just one of those people. It doesn't happen. I end up off key some kind of way. Just, like it's. That's not what I do. Right. Yeah. Period. I. So it's things like that that kind of like they trip you up. And I remember even at this audition before I auditioned, I was in the um, audition room because the way it was set up, it was like they had practice rooms you could rent out right next to like our holding room. And one girl that was in my group with me, she went in the practice room and we could hear her. And she was riffing the, oh my gosh, the heck. There it is, I'm clean. <laughs> she was riffing the heck out of some Alicia Keys, like tearing it up in the room. And everybody was sitting there like, oh my God, like she's gonna book. <laughs> and I'm sitting there shaking at this point, like, oh my God, oh no. Can I Am say I something about basic? that? No. <laughs> just, just because, um, I've been there a thousand times, but always remember for you and for everybody listening who is an aspiring artist, always remember that there is only one you. No Amen. one can do what you do. And even if they riff down the house, maybe they're looking for somebody to have, you know, the emotion of the song. A lot of people use riffing as, uh, I mean, it's, it's a wonderful art, uh, form of our art, but some people use it as a crutch. Yes. Oh my and, gosh. and they don't dig deep into the emotion of the song. Some, not all. Mm -hmm. um, so you just be you. 1,000% and nobody will ever be able to top you. You will only be able to top you by doing better in the future than you did in the present. This, uh, this conversation about, about auditions and your, your experience with auditions actually um, makes me think of, there's a, there's a, like a negative feedback loop mm -hmm. that I have seen happen in, uh, in musical theater auditions. And I'm just curious as to, I just want to get your feedback on it. <clears throat> so I see, uh, I see directors and producers who will, they will rarely consider um, artists of color for uh, historically historically white roles, and therefore, be, and because producers and because that because actors of color know that that's going to happen, mm -hmm. then actors of color have to use they have to use their time wisely. So they're looking to figure how they, what are they, they're choosing their auditions for the week that they're going to go to, what they're going to submit for, and so actors of color end up spending their time going to auditions where they have a better chance of booking, booking a gig yeah. and making a living, yeah. and then. Because of that, 
fewer artists of color show up to like a, a season of like Rodgers and Hammerstein. Mm -hmm. And then I hear the producers and directors complaining about how no artists of color show up and that's why their, their seasons end up looking so white. So there's this feedback loop that's happening where there's a, a kind of a, an, like a segregation that's happening where you know, uh, actors of color are like, well, I'm gonna go to the, I'm gonna go show up for the auditions for Lion King and for Smokey Joe's Cafe and for Ragtime, you know, and I'm not gonna, like, it's, you know, the odds of me being considered for Billy Bigelow mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Are, are pretty slim overall. So is, do you guys, do you guys see that, 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 that feedback loop happening? Does that, yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. And the only way to break a loop like that is to do the work that's necessary to break it. Um, we're not at the destination yet where we can say that there's equality across the board in any respect in this world, you know? So the same way the men and women of yesteryear, the Rosa Parks, the Dr. Kings, the Malcolm X's, all of them had to put in the work to get us to where we are today. We have to put in the work that may not necessarily benefit us immediately, but it will continue to drive the movement forward in uh, making sure that there's complete equality and diversity in, in all aspects. Mm -hmm. That's definitely one thing I've noticed taking into account as I get ready to take this next step towards graduation and being in the real world. Um, just really the question of where do you want to take the job? Sometimes it's not going to be the most glamorous job, but it's the job that needs to be done. Like me personally, what I think about whenever I start getting down on myself, like, oh my gosh, it'd be so much easier if I just did the Chelsea Bell everybody wants there. We can just be done with it. We can go do the bigger jobs, whatever. But somewhere in one of these smaller regional theaters, community theaters, somewhere, there, there are little black children that need to see themselves represented. Exactly. And they need to see mm -hmm. themselves represented in different ways and not the one sound, the one voice, the one look. And so me personally, I think that just as you said, we have to take that step. We have to be the first in some of those scenarios, the first maybe at a company, the first at the audition. Mm -hmm. It's something that has to be done in order to see a better future. Do you feel like you're trying to break the loop and that the loop is being reinforced in the audition room at the same time? Like you're trying to get out of the stereotype while the auditioners are still saying, um, can you be more of the stereotype for us? Like, do you, do you feel that, that push and pull, that struggle in the space? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because especially with theaters that are trying to fill up such a season and at times putting in like different like they're trying to have a diverse season. Mm -hmm. So they might have a golden age, but then they also have their contemporary shows. You might end up getting a supporting lead in contemporary, but then it comes to golden age and you're kind of like, <laughs> show person number two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think it takes time too. It's uh, the, the education of all sides, you mm -hmm. know, as to what, something can look like and what something can be mm -hmm. takes time and it takes discussions like this that happen outside of the audition room outside of the confines of a show where me as a human being can look at another person of color or a person of like or, or a caucasian person or or a latino or a or anybody and not see the stereotype before i see the person you know what i mean so i, I think as a humanity we're doing that work and that will 
directly and indirectly affect the, what happens inside of the rooms. Mm. So a lot of what we talk about is um, this this generation of actors of which Lois is is a member. Who's you know they, as as you guys make your way through your career, you know if if the if the if the ball that Hamilton sent rolling continues and there's and producers find that there's money to be made in in having more diversity on the stage. What that means is that those those new paradigms of what we expect to see in terms of race and color when we go to the theater, right? That it's that my children, my children will go to the theater and they won't expect to see a right. monolithic mm -hmm. um, right. cast. Yep. You know. So, um, but but a lot of that also is really kind of centered around this idea of bringing color into a white space that already exists. Um, is there also a discussion to be had about telling black stories? You know, I think, you know, we, you know, a lot of, you know, we've, we talk a lot about, you know, oh, so much of the, I mean, 95% of the canon is, is, was written by my white men. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we're trying to find, we're trying to make those stories more universal. Right. But as you know, um, but one of the things that, that, I struggle with as a, as a producer is that the canon as it exists tells stories from the perspective of the, the guys who wrote them, yeah. these white guys. Absolutely. So is, you know, how do we do a better job of supporting black playwrights or, uh, and uh, Latino playwrights? And how do we get more diverse stories on the stage, which also then just makes the experience, I mean, that much more diverse and, and interesting for the artists that are, that are, playing the roles as well. Yeah, It's a multifaceted uh, problem. So one, you have to get people of color to start to write the works, mm -hmm. you know, which they are doing. Uh, then there needs to be a place for the, those works to be put up. And in order for the works to be put up, there needs to be the capital behind it. So then you need people with, and because for so long, it's been the white version of so much, it's going to take brave white men and women and people of color who have real finance, like not new money, but like old money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, because new money won't last. It's not as easy to just say, here's a million dollars and, and put on this production, you know? Because at the end of the day, because with social media and the, the heights and the, the amount of capital that's available to these big box musical theater uh, productions, the way society sees things is it, it, they see quality versus lack of quality very quickly, you know, and they we're, we're, we're just being fed so much um, stimulation that in order for something to stand up next to another production, it has to have something that is a draw, either a very strong story that's, um, promoted by the media as something that everybody needs to see or the flash and bang and the quality uh, that that's very expensive you know so there's the the writers there are the people who are willing to back the writers and then of course there's the audience that's willing to come and see it and in order to get people to come in and see it number one like we were just discussing before there has to be uh an understanding of, of, of people that people are more than just their skin color, you know? And that change, as we've experienced over the past gener few generations, takes generations. So again, we may not see it to its completion, or we might, uh, 
in this generation, but the work still continue needs to continue to be done. Um, but I think once those components are kind of put in place, then it'll kind of balance itself out. The pendulum has to swing strong in the other direction for it to find its center. Um, but I think we're, we're definitely moving toward it. Is it fair to say that, I mean, Hamilton being the outlier, is it fair to say that Broadway, because it's a profit-driven enterprise, yes. that, that Broadway is going to be a, an indicator of a trend that's already happening rather than leading the trend itself, and that really the, the work itself in terms of making the, the stages more diverse is really going to be happening... Downtown. Yeah. It's going to be happening on you know yeah. tens of thousands of stages yeah, everywhere else. Level. Absolutely. And that yeah. when we finally yeah. see it on Broadway, that's simply an indication that it's already happening. That it's infiltrated, uh, yeah. yeah. Exactly. I think so. Yeah. I think that... And simply because most people who are working actors aren't working in New York. Right. They're working all over the country. Right. Mm -hmm. And if there are no, no, you know, situations, no audition rooms where people are actively recruiting a diverse population to tell these stories and a diverse population of people whose stories are being told, then it has no way to move up to that mass production level of Broadway, right. like to the right. to the big money maker. So I think that we have to see it in, you know, Midland, Michigan, before we're going to see it on Fifth Avenue. Where, yeah. you know, it's going to be here not, first, folks. It's going to be here hey, first. Sure right is. Right here. It's a grassroots movement. It really is. There's so yeah. few theaters in New York in comparison right. to the yeah. theaters across the country. Right. As a we whole. have to see it regionally. Yeah. I, I think that's absolutely true. All right. Let's, uh, let's take a pause here to jump into our first artist spotlight. The Sons of Serendip is a musical group unlike any that you have ever heard before, forged in the bonds of childhood and tempered on the stage as a finalist on America's Got Talent. Four friends from Boston University playing harp, piano, cello, and voice create beautiful music that touches the heart and lifts the spirits. The Sons of Serendip will perform at the center on May 2nd. Tickets can be found at midlandcenter.org or by calling 989-631-8250. So one thing that I've kind of coming back to our an earlier discussion, one of the things that I've been taking note of is how the media has been participating in the conversations around race, specifically in sensationalism. You know, we've had, um, in the last couple of years, I've seen, um, uh, well, the most recent one I've seen is the kind of the faux controversy about casting a black Ariel in the, the new adaptation <laughs> of, 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 um, uh, of uh, The Little Mermaid. Yeah. But, um, but also, you know, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, down in Chicago, uh, the Porchlight Music Theater, um, they were doing a production of In the Heights, and they had an open call, uh, and they had an open call for all, ethnic all ethnicities, um, and they, but they did not ask, they didn't really do their outreach into the, into the, uh, into the Latino community, and um, they ended up casting uh, a white man of Italian-American descent as Uznavi. Now, when they first, when they published the cast, they didn't think anything of it because they never asked anybody. They just cast based on look. They're like, right. oh, he's a guy that looks like a news Navi, so we're going to cast him as a news Navi. But that really kind of started the conversation in Chicago about the, the burden that theaters carry to make sure that they're not just, you know, adding an ethnicity 
clause into their casting call and just saying, oh, we put that in there and nobody showed up. So that's a, it's, it's not our fault. It's, it's their right. fault for not showing up. Right. <laughs> you know, so, but you know, so that, that conversation is really kind of kept taken off. So I'm just curious as to, you know, that we see a lot of, starting to see a lot of these kind of, um, you know, I think it's a good and healthy thing that we're starting to see these kind of people getting angry about these sorts of behaviors from from directors or producers or theaters. Oh my, this is something I feel very strongly about. <laughs> I have had this conversation, this rant many times with people <laughs> because yes, I think it is um, the responsibility of the producers and the directors and everybody in that production team behind the table. But I'm also a stickler on it's the actors as well too. You know going to that audition whether or not that role is okay for you and you know taking it what's at like what what's happening what what you're doing i've ran into many people <laughs> who are ethnically ambiguous that believe because they're ethnically ambiguous they could play the same roles as me in some cases yes some shows very specifically yes but other shows where it's very specific to be an african american it in a way it's not being true to the work it's not being true to the experience of the character as well. If we're not looking at what the playwright intended, what they wanted, because that makes a difference in the integrity of the script, of the musical, of the play, anything. And it. So let me play devil's advocate just for a second here, because I think here is where a lot of people find difficulty in this mm -hmm. conversation, in this, in this era that we're in, this time that we're in, because I understand what you're saying one thousand percent but then we have to consider why can't a white person say well in Hamilton they're playing George Washington why can't it why shouldn't it be a white person playing that you see what I'm saying yeah um and this is I'm this is where I stand is a very unpopular place <laughs> in in this argument but I think it's the right place for me to stand and like I said before the pendulum has to swing fortunately or unfortunately, very far in one direction to find its center. But center is really our goal, right? So that if we are going to say that casting is completely diverse and completely colorblind, then it eventually, and I know it's not now, um, and I know that that event is an event that we're not ready for yet. But I pray and I hope that the day will come where an Usnavi can be played by anybody. You know, where a Mufasa can be played by anybody. Again, we're not there now. Mm -hmm. Now we really have to do the work to make sure that the people of color and of Latin descent and of Indian descent and of Asian descent get an opportunity to play these roles and where the roles are specified to be people of color that it needs to be played by a person of color. But if we're going to be colorblind, if we're going to be completely diverse, and if we're going to be open and welcoming to any and everything, then it has to be, it has to actually be that, right. you know, mm -hmm. open and welcome to anything. So that's why I said before, another reason why I said that there needs to be education and work done on all sides of this argument. People of color, yes, we have to fight for our place, but in fighting for our place, we can't say that it's only our place. You know, uh, it has to be 
it's our place as humanity. It's, it's just, and again, I get that we're not there yet and we have to do the work to get through this season to get to that, but I hope that people can start to put that in their sights and see that that's where we need to be going. It's interesting, uh, you know, um, Lin-Manuel Miranda tends to be very generous in terms of wanting people to perform his plays. Oh, yes. And so he doesn't dictate that, you know, the cast of In the Heights, you know, the, I think we had a, we had a production of, of In the Heights um, locally with here in, the, in uh, the high school group did it in the last couple of years um, with an, with an all-white cast. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Lin-Manuel Miranda is supportive of, of that oh, yeah. sort yeah, of yeah, casting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, he allows that. Um, but... So as you know, but there's there's other you know other roles. Like, um, so how do you negotiate certain like certain roles? Like you know when when uh, when Lion King ends its run, mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. there anything specifically about the roles in Lion King that are that denote that those that that those are that they should be played by black actors, right? Since they're anthropomorphic animals, right? Mm-hmm. Is there, right, like, right. Is, like, anybody could be right. right. Yeah, anybody could be a lion, right? Yeah, so, yeah. but now the role, like the, the show, was conceived mm-hmm. as having deep African roots, yeah. And so that that makes sense that, that how the how the shows come together. But as what happens when um, that show goes regional, right? And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. community theaters are 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 performing it. Or um, the one of the most recent ones that I've kind of come across is uh, Newsies. Um, Newsies, uh, because the role of um, Meta in Newsies mm. was played by a, a white woman in the movie. The role was conceived um, as a black vaudeville performer yeah. in the Broadway production. Mm. And, um, and so now that it is regional, now that it's available for regional, how is it... And there's nothing in the role that is... Uh, that is racial specific, racially yeah. specific. So is no, except it- the vocalization is, I think, exactly what Lois was talking about. Like the way that that role musically is written is everything that Lois is being asked to do in an audition room. Ah. So like Christina Aguilera can't sing it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, like, so like that's the question. Is like so what it you know how that that role particularly you know like people are mm-hmm. are talking about like well how do yeah. what is what is the, what is the what is the author's intent what is the producer's intent is it okay for a white actor to play to play meta um because there's nothing racially specific in the role the role is written um to just as a more r&b style or in a, in a more soulful style mm-hmm. um so i'm just curious i mean how do we negotiate those i mean we talked about the pendulum like, yeah you know we uh is the is the is it what what era where should we air at the moment at the moment yeah. right yeah. now yeah i think we should probably air on the side of the work that's necessary to make sure that people of color get an opportunity to play the roles and get work and get space and and are are given just as much do as anybody else. Equality first. Yeah. And then we can talk about... Yeah. That's personally what I think. I I mean, I'm sure there are varying degrees of opinion with regards to what's right. But, um, yeah, I think right now, the work is still being done. We're not at the place where we can kind of relax and say, ah, it's euphoric and everybody loves everybody (laughs) and everything is fine. We're not there yet. So, um, 
And I mean, I played the Phantom. I was the first black Phantom touring. And I've come off the road and the season on Broadway now, last season and the season before was very heavy. Oh my God, let's try black people and everything. Let's put black people <laughs> everywhere. But that season has passed. You know, now it's a season of, um, it's not so much that anymore. They, they feel like they've done it and it kind of has cooled off a little bit. So now I'm like, okay, well, what's my next job? Mm. <laughs> you know, because now I'm a leading man of a certain caliber and for leading men in general, there are fewer roles at that level, you know, and there are a lot of us out there trying to get it. And if nobody's putting in the work to make sure that people of color get an opportunity to do those roles, then where do I fit in? Where do I fall? Do I have to stop performing? Do I have to go do TV instead? You know what I mean? Like what? Who, who are your role models in in finding those those opportunities in negotiating that territory? Did everybody hear that inhale that you <laughs> took at the question? Like the breath that happened when um, the question landed. Audra McDonald is one of my role models. She's insane <laughs> in right. the best possible way. Um, Jane. I just saw her and Frankie and Johnny last last summer. She was amazing. Her and Michael Shannon and Frankie and Johnny at the Claire de Lune. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah, good. yeah. So good. So good. James Earl Jones has always been. I mean, he's done it all and done it all incredibly well. And at no point did I ever see, oh, that's just a black man doing Darth Vader or playing Mufasa or being on Broadway or or reading Shakespeare in the White House or it, it, it's just been an excellent actor who happens to look like me, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, I, I guess those two would be my, my top two. What about you, Lois? I mean, Audra, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love her. Um, but definitely right now, Patina Miller is a huge yes. one for me. Oh, I love her. Um, I'm terrible with names. I'm going to do my best. I think she was just on uh, just a great comment, and now she's in Hamilton, um, Danae Benton. Yeah. She, oh, Black Sopranos. We love it. <laughs> <laughs> we love seeing it. So um, they're two huge ones. I, I could go on for days. I have a list if you want me to pull it up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I got, I got one last question for the group, um, kind of going in a, in, a different, uh, in a different take. So... Um, my, my entree into this topic is fun. So back in the 1990s, mm -hmm. um, I had my original cast recording of Miss Saigon. <laughs> okay. Uh, and uh, which, of course, had Jonathan Price, uh, who is an English Shakespearean actor, yeah. playing uh, a Vietnamese pimp and con man. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so then he played the role on Broadway uh, in Yellowface in the 1990s. Yeah. Um, and and that was also during an era. I mean, and and that's probably the most egregious one that I've seen recently. You know, most mm -hmm. recently on Broadway. But during that same time, it's not like everybody, every community theater in the nation wasn't doing regular pr productions of of The King and I, where right. they we just right. yeah, yeah. Where they would just put makeup all over the Absolutely. like all, the entire community's white kids. You know, <laughs> yes. them out. Yes. You know, so <laughs> how, you know, so and, it, and it's interesting to like that. Just in the last 15 years, um, the the cultural taboo that we associate with blackface is beginning to be extended 
to, to mm. other communities of color, mm-hmm. um, specifically in terms of yellow face and, um, and caricatures of, of native communities. Um, what, are there certain shows that just need to go away for a while while we figure this thing out? I think that would be divine. <laughs> um, Please submit your list of shows you'd like to get rid of. I'll, I'll have them ready in five minutes. <laughs> no, I feel like because some shows need to become historic, mm-hmm. you know? And when you're too close to the history, it's like dredging up my past, like my personal experience that's in the past. It needs to be... It sh- possibly should be (laughs) certain terms like terms that are certain are difficult in art for me you know because uh you need to leave room for ideas uh but i i do feel like certain shows possibly could stand to be put in the past for a while like what do like what do we do about you know um uh uh Sutton Foster. Why am I blanking? Uh, Thoroughly Modern Millie. Thoroughly Modern Millie. It's actually, it's interesting you bring that one up because um, I believe her name is Ashley Park. She was just in the original cast of Mean Girls. She's Asian American. But she's a part of a production team that's actually like revamping, rewriting Thoroughly Modern Millie. And I believe she's pl- she's going to be playing Millie wow. in this production. But they're changing it up completely. And it'd be... Once it comes out and, like, we see the final product, it's going to be really interesting to see if this is going to be, like, a new trend of taking these shows that were kind of like, ooh, we shouldn't touch those, we should just leave those in the past, and kind of revitalizing them, revamping them for today and making them accessible and just just better, in a way, (laughs) for the times. Yeah. I think if they do, if we do that, if we don't just put it up as what it was, but do the work to make it art that challenges our thought, you know, I think that's that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. That's that's worth doing. At the I, I'm, we're we're still about a month away from announcing uh, our season, uh, so I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tip any any titles away, but um, we are involved in a project that's actually that does that very specific thing where there's a play, there's a play that is, um, I'm going to tease the, our, our listeners here. There's a play. You're teasing me. There's a play that's been, that was been very popular regionally for the last almost 30 years. Um, and, but has fallen out of production because the world has changed and the language that we use, uh, uh, around these particular communities has changed a lot. Uh, and so the play can't be produced anymore because it's now hurtful to the community mm. it was intended for. Mm. Um, and so uh, we've, been in, in, we've been engaged in this, uh, in a, a process with the, um, with the author's estate to be able to update the language and to make it relevant and um, make it relevant to the, to the community it was originally intended for. So, um, hey, listeners... You'll find out what that is soon enough. Stay tuned. I hope I didn't. Hope I didn't give too much away. I think, was, I think it was. Really I was. Was I vague enough? At all. It was super vague. Okay, good. Ish. <laughs> all right. Well, let's jump to our second artist spotlight um, of the day. 
Center Stage Theater will be putting on the capstone of their 1920 season with the regional premiere of A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, a musical farce about a penniless Englishman who discovers that he is eighth in line for an earldom and sets out to eliminate everyone who stands between him and his rightful title. A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder will run from May 8th through 17th. You can get tickets by visiting midlandcenter.org or by calling our box office at 989-631-8250. All right, guys. Let's, uh, what do we do to wrap up our show and sign off for the day? Um, first of all, I want to thank uh, our wonderful uh, guests here at the table with us, Lois Reeves. Thank you so much for your thank perspectives you. and your thoughts. Yeah. Thank you for bringing me. This is so much fun, guys. <laughs> you got to come back soon. Oh, Elaine. We'll bring you what? back. We'll bring Just you back for. Uh, we'll bring you back for your Broadway debut. Oh my yes. gosh. Yes. Yeah. I, I want to be at your Broadway debut, so we have to stay connected. Coming soon, oh. 2021. We hope. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> ambitious. Oh, <no. laughs> And Derek, you're uh, you're popping back on stage here in just a couple more hours for our second performance of Carousel. So thank you so much for joining. It's really glad you um, decided to not sleep in as much as you could have this morning and <laughs> come and join us. My pleasure. It's been awesome. <laughs> All right. Uh, I also I need to thank my um, my well my Bostonian <laughs> co-host. Bring, bring it. Here we go. One more time. So here we go. I, I got to point out to our listeners that Derek walked in uh, wearing a Yankees cap today um, and. Like the like the immediate like <laughs> sass that came from Elaine. Like Elaine was like having none of it. Like I have a solemn duty. <laughs> right. So yeah, something, yeah. You had something about there was socks involved. I right? said I'm gonna ignore your Yankees cap. Like I introduced myself, shook his hand, and then said I'm gonna ignore that. Pretend that it doesn't tell me things about you. It doesn't. See, and I appreciate that. And I respect that you're a Sox fan. I'm born into it. it. I have no control same, over it. Same, same. It is what it is. Same. It is what it is. Yeah. New Yorker. So is it is it is it swearing? Is it would it count as swearing to to say that you're behaving like a masshole? A what now? I appreciate that term. That's a, that's a, that's a, um, that is a positive. That. Con- of course, that would have a positive connotation yes. in, in right. <laughs> for like, me. Ah, yeah. Pride. I don't mind it at all. I, I really don't. My, my you know my mom doesn't love it. <laughs> um, I don't mind it. It is what it is. I'm proud of where I'm from. All right. You have been listening to Full Circle, the Midland Center Arts Podcast. I'm your host, Dexter Brigham, and we look forward to seeing you on the other side of the footlights. Full Circle is a production of Midland Center for the Arts. Please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. And be sure to rate and review us wherever you like to listen. You can find all of our episodes on our website at midlandcenter.org. And be sure to follow the Midland Center for the Arts Facebook page so you can be the first to know when we release new episodes. Join us next time on Full Circle, where Dexter and Elaine are joined by special guest actor John Cormier-Burke to talk comedy. Thanks for listening.